This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. This is our official season preview episode. At least the first half of this episode will be. The second half, we'll take a peek at this Saturday's game against East Carolina for the Wolverines. If you missed our position preview series, uh, definitely go check that out. They'll probably still be relevant next week, but you'll sound really smart around your friends at the tailgate if you go and listen to the five to six hours of podcasting that we did, breaking down all 11 position groups in great detail, the strengths, the question marks. We got everything. We even have our predictions for each position group. So be sure to check that out. This one, yeah, we're we're going big picture again. We're, We're talking about the team. We'll do a lightning round of some of the predictions that we have for this season. In the second half of the episode, we'll talk maybe not the nitty gritty that we'll, we'll that you'll see in Big Ten play in terms of like the positional and strategic things to watch, but but what we want to see from the offense this weekend for the Wolverines, what we want to see from the Wolverines defense this weekend. A couple players we're watching, and we'll have our score prediction at the end. But Steve, getting to this season, I believe that we both picked Michigan to go 12 and 0 this year. It's my first time doing 12 and 0. I don't remember what you had last year, but I I don't think I had 12 and 0. Yeah, this is this is kind of different territory for me cuz there's so many games where I could envision a loss, but I I I've seen enough from the current returning Michigan players. I you know, I've seen enough from the transfer portal players they brought in. I really do think that they are the they are the better team than anyone on their schedule this year. And I do think the schedule lines up in a way that they have time if they if they have question marks, if they have vulnerabilities in certain spots, they have time to sort those out before they necessarily have to be thrown into the fire. But with that 12-0, and 0, I don't think you or I think that it'll be that they'll win by 30 points every week. There will be trap games. There will be tough opponents, tough venues, uh, games that Michigan might find itself in a dogfight. And, and honestly, last season... How many games at halftime were a one-possession game for the Wolverines? I mean, that kind of became their thing, is it would be like 10-7 or 13-6 at halftime, and then they start to pull away. So so there's lots of potential trap games. I actually would argue there's more this year just because there's more of what I would consider to be, quote-unquote, tough road venues. Michigan State, Nebraska, Minnesota, Penn State, all jump out to me is games where the, the the crowd will be bumping, you know, right? The the crowd will be full. It'll be tough. So, Steve, maybe it's one of those four. Maybe it's a different game because of an opponent matchup or timing in the schedule. What is your biggest trap game for the Wolverines this season? 
Almost kind of wish we were recording tomorrow because don't Nebraska and Minnesota play each other tonight? Yeah, I think those are two very that, strong contenders for this. Cause yeah, because those are the those are the two I look at. Uh, Michigan State, too much of a rival to call a trap game. That that might be a tough game, no matter what what Michigan State turns out to be this year. Just because, I mean, granted, the better team, the more talent, the better team usually has won that game historically over the last 12, 15 years, but. It's just enough of a rivalry. I wouldn't. I don't really think it call, falls into the trap game deal. I'll say Minnesota just because it's rules first season. I, I just don't know how quickly they'll get that off the ground. But I also, you know, Minnesota feels like kind of a mystery team in the West this year as well. So, yeah, I agree. It's a it's a weird schedule. Five away games in conference, right? I mean that that's that seemed kind of rare. Am I, am I, I think, off? I think it happens every other year. Okay. Like, so I think it, but, but to your point in 2021, even though Michigan had almost the same record and, and was made to the playoffs, won the big 10, there were a lot more dog fights because there were more road games. Like I think about the Nebraska game that year, Michigan state, obviously they, they lost the road. The Penn state game was not over until the very end. Whereas last season, Michigan was almost boringly good at times. I think this year there's gonna there's potential. I guess we'll see. There's potential for more dogfight road games because yeah, it, it technically happens every other year now in the nine game conference schedule situation. But I do think this year, to your point, I think there are more what I would consider tough road venues because I don't when I hear you know road game at Rutgers or at Indiana or so, some of these venues, they're not the same right and just because the crowd isn't going to be there it's not going to be as electric like nebraska they sell out every game they just had ninety-two thousand fans at a at, at their volleyball game very very uh, awesome. minnesota yes very cool minnesota they'll probably fill it up especially that time of year penn state obviously is going to be 108 110,000. and then michigan state always a, a passionate crowd too so i five five road games is not technically rare but I think having four strong and, venues that you have to go to, that's that's a little bit different than past seasons. And we we got to think that two of the three between Nebraska, Minnesota, Michigan State will be at night, probably, right? I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't remember, I don't to be have, honest with you, it, I, I don't remember the last time Michigan played at Minnesota during the day. feels like at Minnesota is always a night game. Yeah, 2020 and then 2015 were both night games. So I'm gonna, but to go back to the original point, I'm, I'm the other reason I'm gonna stick with Minnesota. It's also the second game in a two, in a two game away swing as well. So again, maybe splitting hairs. Maybe Nebraska is better than we think. But again, <laughs> those two teams play today would probably help at least or at least give you a clearer picture. But I'm sticking with with Minnesota. Penn State too good to be a trap game. Michigan State too big of a rival uh, between Nebraska and Minnesota to me, and I'll go with Minnesota. So I think my pick was technically Minnesota in when we filled out the round table form, partly because in addition to everything you said, past few years, they've been really good at running the ball and stopping the run. Now, we'll see what they look like this year. Every year there's new players, but it does seem like they have an identity that kind of butts heads with Michigan, not dissimilar to Illinois last year. And I would argue in retrospect, that was Michigan's biggest trap game was the Illinois game just because of because of the matchup, because of the physicality. So we'll see exactly what Minnesota looks like this year. That'd probably be my pick. 
But I am going to make a quick case for Nebraska. I think the thing that jumps out to me is it seems like in a lot of Michigan football's much hyped seasons, I think there's something to be said that first challenge. I think that first challenge tests you more than than the previous games. And a lot of times it is a gut punch. Like I think the most recent example maybe was what, 2019, when Michigan was a preseason top 10 team. They, I think they played Army, right? That went to overtime. So I guess that was technically a test. They played Middle Tennessee, but it was really at Wisconsin. And suddenly they are just down by, what, five touchdowns at halftime? It was, it was some ridiculous uh, halftime score because I just I think you can try to simulate it as best you can in fall camp. You can try you know, to iron sharpen iron. You can say all the right things, but there's just something else about that first road game that first kind of gut check against another good team and and Nebraska I think my hierarchy currently of there I think they're fourth in my atmosphere rankings and they're always changing a little bit but Penn State Michigan Ohio State probably the the top three but Nebraska I mean they're gonna have over 90,000 fans they sell out they've sold out every game since what the 60s and it's it's a loud atmosphere I think I saw a report that that's likely to be a 11 a.m. game so it might not be the same as it was in 2021 in terms of the the juice in the building but it's still it's still probably the toughest second toughest venue Michigan's going to play at this year on paper I believe the third most talented team Michigan's going to face this year behind Ohio State and Penn State I mean for as as down as they've been the past few years I mean they've still recruited at a top 25 level they still have speed and size and strength at several positions. I'm kind of giving Matt Rule a little bit of benefit of the doubt here, but I also think just that that being the first road game, I think is going to test Michigan. So yeah, I'm with you. The The winner of tonight is probably the biggest trap game on Michigan's schedule. All right, next topic. What is objectively going to be Michigan's toughest regular season game this year? And I think there's really only two candidates, Ohio State at home, Penn State on the road, which now that I just said it, I realized we forgot about Maryland. That that arguably will be the trap game just from a staying focused because it's between that Penn State and Ohio State game. It's on the road. Maryland did win eight games last year. You know, they returned their quarterback. But back to this other debate, toughest game on Michigan's schedule, which team or which matchup do you think is more likely for Michigan to lose uh, against Penn State? Or against Ohio State. I mean, this might really come down to one thing: is how good is Drew Aller? It's weird to not immediately say Ohio State, right? I mean, I think this would be the first time since I've been doing this that if you ask me preseason, that the answer isn't immediately Ohio State. I mean, the thing about Penn State always kind of—I know it's a little bit of a running joke on the board, and and maybe in general, uh, the national pundits seem to love Penn State every year no matter what. Uh, but this year, like, I, I think I'm buying in on Penn State more than normal. They're still a little, I think they've had a couple injuries on the interior of their defensive line, but they're very strong on the edge. They have studs basically at every level. Abdul Carter is going to be one of the best best defenders, one of the best players in the Big Ten. Uh, Kalen King, the Cast Tech product, the one that Michigan really missed on, that, that would possibly be the guy that would put them over the top this season defensively uh he looks like an all-american type first round pick 
And then guys like Chop Robinson up front, you know, and then offensively, we know what they have at running back with the two, the two, two, two headed monster, excuse me, Nick Singleton, Katron Allen. And then they're always good at tight end. And I believe they brought in a transfer at wide receiver. His name escapes me, but I know they have a pretty solid transfer guy coming in. To me, it comes down to Drew Aller. I think the one benefit Michigan has, and granted, they don't play either of these teams so late in the season, but yeah, both first-year quarterbacks for Penn State and Ohio State this year. I don't know the last time that's happened uh, for Michigan as far as playing both of them in the same season with first-year quarterbacks. Also, going with the away versus home type deal, I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Penn at Penn State. The night game thing has kind of been debunked, right? There's no real Penn State does has not had like a major advantage in, in, historically, right? Playing at night versus the game being at noon, so. Yeah, it's crazy to think. I, I would I would have to say at Penn State, mostly because it's on the road. But again, I just think, yeah, I don't know, Penn State. Dante Cephas is the yes, yes, that's receiver the transfer Sorry. from Kent State. Yep, but I think you're right. I really do. I I think the home road. I'm sure there are some fans who, I'm sure there's some stats that say the better team typically wins. But I've been to that Penn State Michigan matchup in. Uh, state college four times and every single time I come away just impressed because it's not just big crowd and it's not just everyone's into it everyone's loud the whole game but I think like just the way the stadium's designed is really well suited to create a hostile environment you know just the way it's stacked the aluminum uh, all over the bleachers I mean sometimes I'll do like a post-game like video wrap up down on the field and it's loud then like everyone's cleared out, but it's just the echoing of the, the swirling winds and the aluminum. And, and then, you know, obviously the fan base is just really, really good at creating a tough atmosphere. So I don't think it's something Michigan can't handle. That's why you and I are predicting Michigan to go 12 and zero. but I'm a little bit more sold on Penn state's defense. Offensively. I'm, I'm more sold on Ohio state, but I think, Penn State has the pieces to get it done better than last season. That's the part that I think Michigan fans struggle with is Penn State's hyped as a top five team. Some national media types are putting them in the college football playoff over Michigan. And it's just hard after seeing last year's game to envision that Penn State could be that much better. But I I, I do think that they're a little more well-rounded, a little deeper, bigger in the trenches, and then obviously having Aller, Singleton, Allen, you're kind of not dissimilar to Michigan, really. I mean, you could maybe make an intriguing case that there there are some parallels between Penn State this year and Michigan last year in terms of that young, extremely talented quarterback running back core is another year older, another year experience getting more touches. So I could see the upset happening. I'm not predicting it, but I, I think that's the tougher game. And then I also constantly go back to I think Michigan's current culture current brand is really well equipped to beat Ohio State I think Penn State in State College I think has that chance to not a trap game they're not sneaking up on anybody but maybe with the playoff talk with Ohio State looming you know maybe Michigan's not doing a beat Penn State drill every day I'll put it like that so at least as of right now a tougher matchup than Ohio State. We'll see what both teams can bring. All right, now let's get to some of the player talk. 
your offensive and defensive MVPs for this season? I almost feel like it's almost like a voting thing where I think Corum and Edwards almost kind of cancel each other out a little bit. So I'm I'm going to say I'm going to go with J.J. McCarthy. I think, you know, we, we talk about he had a good season last year, but as a player who still there's a pretty sizable room for improvement for him. I think Michigan's confident that he is making the right strides. Uh, it might really come down to receiver development and – I was just giving JJ the opportunity to make plays just because court, like I said, Blake Donovan, like both are going to have like big seasons. I feel like, and it'd be, so it'd be very difficult to pick one of them. I'd still like, I, if I, to be, to be maybe controversial a little bit, if I was choosing between the two, I'd still almost say Edwards just because of what he can, there's so many different ways he can hurt defenses. Uh, but I'm still going to go with JJ McCarthy. I think he'll, I think eventually uh, I think he's in in line to have a, a pretty big season for Michigan. I'm really tempted to like kind of dodge that debate and go with like Zach Zinter because he might be like in terms of positional value. He that's might totally be, fair, dude. Yeah, like he might be their first team All American. I'm gonna go with Corum. I think I need you know I know there's talk about more passing, although it is funny that like Michigan says well, we want to be fifty fifty, and like that's not that different than last season. But everyone's like, oh, they're going to open up the passing game. I think I think fans are just very excited about the potential there. Uh, I do kind of wonder if they're going to give Donovan Edwards more carries this year than last season when, when both running backs are healthy. Just one, because he's older, but two, because this was kind of supposed to be his Heisman season, right? Corum's was last year. Haskins was the year before. This year uh, was supposed to be his year. So how do they make sure that that he's not frustrated. And and as you mentioned, they can put him out wide. They can put him in the slot. You know, they, they there's a lot of ways that he is a matchup nightmare. I'm just going to go with Corum because he's the reigning unanimous All-American. He's the reigning team MVP. I guess that's a safe pick. Defensively, I'm going to go with Chris Jenkins. I think there's a lot, there's a few candidates, right? Junior Colson, I think, is a, is a prime candidate. I think Will Johnson, Rod Moore, two guys who are, I guess working through injuries still, but but two guys who I think have that that kind of potential. But I think Chris Jenkins at the end of the day, he's the head of the snake. You know, everyone I've talked to, they seem to think that he can have a Aiden Hutchinson like grip on this defense, where whenever he's on the field, you know, t- opponents are tr- doing everything they can to stop him, and and they still and it still might not work. To me, the way he stops the run, we've talked about it. At, at nauseum at this point. Uh, I think the developments as a pass rusher, I am fascinated to see how he lo- looks in terms of running and, and the leverage at 300 pounds. I, kn- I know someone was asking me about it on a radio show earlier this week, and I kind of compared it to like a basketball player who's six, two and learns all these point guard moves. And then suddenly he grows three inches and can play on the wing too, but he still has those handles. I think, I think it's a similar deal. Like he learned all the moves and balance and leverage that he needed to know to be a successful 285 pound defensive tackle. And now he's three Oh five. So as long as he kept his athleticism and quickness and, and all those traits, you know, I think he can really be the best defensive tackle in the country this fall. I mean, there's, there's a few candidates. I'm not saying he's, he's a lock, but I expect that kind of season for him. And so I think he'll be the defensive MVP. Steve, did you pick a, 
Defensive MVP? First quarter, first three games of the schedule are pretty soft. So, you know, whether how much he plays or not, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Will Johnson. I think Michigan needs All-American play at cornerback if they're going to uh, accomplish their goals this season. And I think he, his ascension, his continued progression throughout last year, uh, I mean, he looks like Michigan's best ball hawk at the position in quite a long time. Also, the other thing about him is, and you don't really ever, re- you don't realize it too much when you're covering them, the recruiting angle, uh, is always listening to Jim Harbaugh talk about how much of a true student of the game Will Johnson tends to be, uh, the amount of work he puts in off off the field. So, I mean, I just think he has star written all over him, uh, and I think he lives up to it. I think I'm, I'm going to go with Will Johnson. Okay, next up, top offensive and defensive freshmen. think we might have the same answers. I, I'm going Fred Moore on on offense. I think I think this receiver room, in a way, it's a blessing in disguise that they had some guys banged up during fall camp because I think it gave the freshmen more prime reps, first string reps. Uh, and and Frederick Moore was a guy before fall camp that that we were kind of hearing the most about. I know I know some players this fall have cited Carmelo English as someone who really impressed them, but uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Frederick Moore as the star freshman. On offense, on defense, I I just wrote about him in fall camp risers. Uh, I'm going to go with Jair Hill, just turned 18 today, and I think he's just very impressive at cornerback. He's got the speed, he's got the playmaking ability, he's got the ball skills. So I'm going to go with Jair Hill as the star defensive freshman. Steve, how about you? Yeah, I think I have the same two picks. I, I, I any of those three of the three freshman receivers. Between English, Moore, and uh, Morgan, I think could end up fitting the bill. Moore is the one that we yeah we heard the most about early. Uh, English just enrolled in the summer, so the fact that he's even being mentioned uh, might speak to like a pretty quick ascension as well. Uh, but I have to stick with the one that I've been writing about the longest and the one we've I've heard the most consistently good things about, and that would be Fred Moore. And on the defense, yeah, I mean it's almost. Jair Hill by default due to the fact that he's probably the most likely to get an opportunity. You know, we did talk about the defensive line rotation, looking for like a fifth and sixth guy that maybe one of their young players could, could step up and take, but even then you're talking about fifth or sixth. Uh, We're talking about Jair Hill in October, November. I mean, if he plays well enough and shows enough, he he could be in contention for a second third corner, you know, Sainer still, they'll do wherever they'll put him wherever. Uh, but, you know, Hill might be that guy. So almost by default, just because they're so deep defensively. Uh, but I'm going to go with Jair Hill. Deep sleeper there would be Brandon Hillman. Uh, yes. Right. The safety, you know, they kind of swiped him uh, from Notre Dame in the off season. And uh, a guy that I think in a lot of other years would probably be playing early, but you know, you have a, a strong top two, obviously, with Moore and Page, and then we've talked a lot about Keon Sab, Zeke Barry, and then Quentin Johnson also right in the mix. So Michigan quietly deeper at safety than they've been in a while. So, but just from a maybe a special team standpoint, a different angle, uh, Brandon Hillman might be a sleeper in that respect. Top tier athleticism, uh, good physicality. I think the the excitement that there is for Brandon Hillman internally. It's, it's similar to what Rod Moore had in 2021 where it's like, Oh yeah, we got, we got a gem here. 
and he was highly rated. It's not like he was, uh, he wasn't rated as low as Rod Moore, but at the same time, I could envision a scenario where he ascends up the depth chart or his snap count increases as the season wears on. He continues to kind of build that trust, build that comfort in Michigan's defense. All right. On the, on yes. that note, real quick about Brandon Hillman, you mentioned him being high, more highly ranked and regarded than Rod Moore uh, was still only an 88 on, in December of 22. So he was a late, late okay. riser in the rankings. And sometimes we've seen historically, sometimes those are the guys that they don't end up rising enough before signing day. Like a big Mason rise. Graham, in, yeah. Yes. You know, there's, there are guys that do rise. Even Aiden, when he was in high school, was highly ranked to begin. And then I don't know if you remember, but he kind of fell back a little bit and then had a huge week for the Army All-American game and moved back up. Um, you know, so that's another thing with Hillman where I think the composite or 24-7, we had him at 132nd to end the cycle. Very conceivable. He's might maybe better than that, honestly. Just history says guys that rise that late in the process, it's almost like a, oh crap, this guy's good. Like we gotta we gotta bump him up somewhere. We gotta put him somewhere. But you're not gonna bump a guy from 88 to five star in December, in December, right, right. January. Right. So, so that's something to kind of keep in mind with, with Hillman specifically. Absolutely. All right. Next one, breakout slash most improved on offense and defense, I guess technically breakout and most improved can be two different things, but I, to me, I'm thinking players who will play a substantially bigger role than last season and, and succeed in those roles. So for me, my, Defensive choice is Derek Moore. I mean, he played a decent amount last year, but uh, didn't have sacks in any of Michigan's big games. But you saw the snap count start to rise. I think this is a year where he, not to spoil it, but he's my predicted leader in sacks this season. And so I think he's going to play a a really substantial role, really shine on Michigan's defense. On offense, he technically counts because he only had 11 catches last season. you know, and through nine games, I think he only had five or so. But but I'm going to go with Colson Loveland at tight end. Keep hearing, I mean, Michigan's coaches talk about him like it's this is similar to Aiden Hutchinson. They talk about him like he's already a star, even though he's only a rising sophomore and didn't actually play a ton, a ton in the first half of last season. But you know, his catching ability, whether it's in traffic, whether it's getting open, high pointing passes you know, keeping his feet underneath him to, to come down with the ball that Michigan's really enamored with his pass catching ability. So maybe that's a, a cop out because he's already being talked about as if he's arrived. And so would he count as a breakout, but from a snap count starts in his career standpoint, I think he could still count Steve offensive and defensive breakout slash most improved players. You took my defensive one for sure. Um, I'll just go on the other side, though, and say Braden McGregor, similar situation, kind of his time to shine. I think he's ready. I've mentioned consistently, I think the thing with Derek Moore, I just think there's a bit of a higher ceiling there, which doesn't mean like McGregor still has a chance to be an all-conference type player, I feel like, especially, you know, we talk about how strong Michigan should be on the interior. Uh, Both of those guys should get ample opportunity. I think they take advantage. So I'll go with Braden McGregor. Offensively, that's a tougher one without Colson Loveland. Um, I guess Tyler Morris would probably be a solid choice there. Uh, another guy who, you know, kind of quietly 
saw a decent amount of snaps near the end of last season. Didn't show a ton in the box score, uh, but we know that Michigan very, very high on what he brings to the table. Isn't he fighting? He's fighting through something too, isn't he? If I remember correctly, didn't. Yeah, I don't know his status, mention. but he was the second half of fall camp. Yeah, he was battling something, something. working right. through something. Yeah, that's the, that's the phrase. Um, but seemed to have a stranglehold on that third receiver spot. Talk a lot about his rapport with McCarthy being an advantage for him there. So I'll go with Tyler Morris as as a breakout most improved. Okay, next up, thinking about statistics. Offense leaders in rushing yards and receiving yards. So rushing yards, it's, I assume, Corum versus Edwards. I'm going to go with Blake Corum. I'm with you. I, I think that there's a, a very re- realistic scenario where Donovan Edwards leads the way just because that that home run ability, the big play ability. Uh, but I'm going to go with Blake Corum, just educated <laughs> guess, I, I suppose. I don't want to overthink it. He was the leader last year and he's back. So I'm going to pick him receiver little trickier, but the buzz from fall camp seemed like, and, and obviously he changed his Jersey number uh, to, to number one feels like Roman Wilson kind of asserted himself very well in fall camp. Not necessarily a huge shock. I think we even said before fall camp that, that we expected him to be the, to kind of emerge as the number one receiver, but I'm going to go with Roman Wilson as Michigan's leading receiver. Steve, leading rusher and receiver in your eyes? Uh, I have to go with the same, right? Corum, definitely more your bell cow back. We talk about uh, Donovan's versatility. I think that gives Corum the inside track to be the leading rusher. And yeah, it's, it's almost got to be between... Uh, well, if we, didn't, we, we did mention a few podcasts ago that Edwards could possibly be in the running uh, if they threw him the ball enough to lead in receiving yards. But uh, I'll also go with Roman Wilson. Not writing off Cornelius Johnson at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just Roman Wilson, the other thing too, unless I'm totally, but I feel like he's like totally 100% healthy and has been for an extended amount of time now. And so, you know, I think that's another thing for him uh, that'll be big. So, inter- I mean, Johnson's good at moving the sticks though, too. And you can't really put value on uh, enough value on, on that, you know, as well. But, just game to game basis, I think Roman Wilson has a few really big games and ends, uh, yeah, as the leading receiver. I think one thing that will help him is I think he he's va- Cornelius Johnson's valuable as well, but I think Roman Wilson can really excel in every route in the route tree. You know, I think his ability to play out of the slot, his ability to play out wide. I think he's just, I guess, similar to Ronnie Bell in that he can make those kind of plays all over the field and that he can do every route and Michigan can kind of line him up anywhere and he can still make those plays. All right. Next up on the defensive side, leaders in tackles, sacks and interceptions. I feel like tackles probably pretty easy. Junior Colson. I'm predicting him for those that listen to the linebacker episode. You'll remember that I predicted uh, him to set the Harbaugh era record in tackles. I think Ben Gideon has it with 107 in a season, I expect Junior Colson to potentially break that. Sacks, I think I went with Derek Moore. I mentioned it just a moment ago. Don't need to elaborate that much more. Uh, interceptions, I think before the season, or before fall camp, I was thinking Rod Moore because he had four last season. I'm going to go with maybe a little bit of a wild card. Maybe I'm 
I'm proven wrong here, but I just think Mike Sainer still has a very good chance because I, I feel like teams are might try to avoid throwing to Will Johnson a ton. I think safeties, there's always a chance, right? And Rod Moore did have four last season. I just, I think it's they're often thrown to a little less. I think Sainer still in that that nickel spot, and maybe he plays some some snaps at corner as well. Uh, but I think he's going to be someone that's going to be thrown to a lot. And then he's also a former wide receiver. So it's not, he's not going to drop interceptions that are kind of in his hands as much. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, it's not a pick that I'm like putting tons of chips in on, but, but it's one that I'm, I, I think in a stat that's often kind of random or based on how often you get thrown at, I think there's a chance Mike Sanders still leads Michigan interceptions this year. So Steve, Tackles, sacks, and interceptions. Who do you have leading the Wolverines in those three categories? Uh, Junior Colson and Derek Moore for the reasons you mentioned. Interceptions, I'm still going to go with Will Johnson. I do think, yeah, there's a few different guys. And Makari Page played well in coverage last year as well. Uh, could be another possibility there. So, uh, But I agree. I, I As far as probably going to be a cornerback, you would think. And I do agree that maybe Johnson doesn't get thrown to as often on a game-to-game basis, but uh, I still think he comes up with enough, especially if the leader last year was four, feel like a full season schedule or whether he sits a game or two or whatever. Um, I think he gets there. Yeah, he's got a bigger catch radius. Him and Makari Page would be the, you know, if you're thinking like who will statistically have their hands on the most passes, it probably is them. So like those picks. All right, last one, we both pick. As of today, pick Michigan to go 12-0. and 0. Steve, what happens in the college football playoff? I mean, we don't know who's in. We don't know the seedings. We know one of the playoff games will be the Rose Bowl. The other one will be the Sugar Bowl. If Michigan wins the Big Ten, I, I would assume that they would try everything in their power as a one or two seed to, to play in the Rose Bowl. Does this team win a national championship this season? I mean, million-dollar question. Um Seems like kind of a weird year for college football. So you have all, what, of Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, all have new quarterbacks. Penn State even, perennial or not, well, kind of a perennial top 10-ish team. Also with a new quarterback. Tennessee's got a new starting quarterback. They're in the top 10, new starting quarterback. I mean, it's just Michigan has a lot of national championship trademarks. In their favor, you know, very veteran team, second year starter at quarterback. I'll I'm gonna say I'll just say yes. I mean, what it's not like I'm gonna get in trouble if I'm wrong here. Um I just think there, there's enough yeah. ad, there's enough advantages there for them to run. I mean, many more advantages this year for them to run the table than there were last year. You know, I I think I think seeing some not indecision. I mean, Ryan Day knows a good quarterback when he sees one, but just not seeing anybody sort of seize that starting quarterback job, I think just, just feels like it's a positive for Michigan. Uh, and then we'll see with Georgia. I mean, Georgia's always got probably more pure talent than anybody across the field from them, but Ohio state came really should have beat Georgia last year. Uh, we, in a weird way could easily be talking about Michigan winning the last two against Ohio State, but Ohio State winning the national championship last year. So I'll go with Michigan. I think if there was a, I think if this was a, if there was a year for them to do it, it'd be this year. I think a lot of things set up a lot of the things outside of their control set up in their favor, but a lot of things 
within their control sort of set up in their favor as well. So I think they do enough. I, th- I think they get it done. Like it's August 31st. What the hell? Who cares? The stars definitely aligned in a lot of ways for Michigan, not just in returning players. I mean, how often is Michigan going to have three players with top 100 NFL draft grades come back and Blake Corum, Chris Jenkins, Zach Zinter. Uh, there were other players that came back as well for fifth seasons that, that they arguably didn't need in terms of their, their pro careers. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a very experienced team internally and then externally, you're seeing not just new starting quarterbacks, but different teams having pretty much every team in the country has more question marks than Michigan. There are teams that might be better than Michigan this year, but in terms of on paper question marks, Michigan really doesn't have that many. I mean, how much time have we spent this summer talking about that third cornerback spot or the kick return spot? It's like, okay, if those are your biggest problems in pretty good shape. So I'm very confident Michigan will make the college football playoff. I, am not as confident in them necessarily winning the national championship this season. There's a lot of reasons they can, but I am going to be, I'm going to be that guy. I think the overall cumulative odds that one of the more talented teams in the country, right? Because they're 14th in team talent composite. The odds that an Alabama or Georgia or Clemson or whoever hit the lotto with the quarterback, and then the rest of their highly talented team wins the national championship. I mean, if you look at the last decade or so of, of college football, that that does seem to be the formula. Be top five in team talent composite or have, you know, a generational Heisman caliber quarterback, which Michigan might have. And that would, if, if we're six weeks in and J.J. McCarthy looks like a top four or five quarterback in the country, I think I would say Michigan is on track to win a national championship. So between not see, not quite knowing the next step for Michigan's offense uh, and then also just kind of seeing history and assuming, I mean, there's a lot of first year. You're taking the house. Yeah. Yeah. That's taking fair. the field. Yeah. 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 Just because, I mean, a lot of first year starting quarterbacks have won national championships or played in national championship games lately. So yeah, I'm taking the aggregate field, but I want to be Georgia. Story. Who do you, who do you think though, Zach, if it's if, like, do you think it's Georgia again? Cause it just doesn't, it seem like Bama's quarterback situation seems like kind of a mess. I think, I, mean, I think Alabama and Ohio state have not stored confidence or not given me a lot of confidence with the rumors about their quarterback. Sure. I always wonder though, with like Alabama, like, is that just like the entire country's like subtly rooting for their downfall or Could something be. like, Could like it's be. just kind of like, this sure. is the, I mean, how many times have we heard like, this is the year where Saban's dynasty, you know, erodes or whatever. Like sure. I, I, I do agree with you though. I just think I can't, Kirby, I can't put a particular team. I would probably pick Georgia. Right. I, think I mean, yeah, he was pretty decisive in announcing back as the starter. I mean, or at least it felt like it was pretty early considering how much talent they have at the position. I just, you know, feel like, uh, and, and th- they one don't thing I'll like give they- Georgia credit yeah. for, they've won two national titles with Stetson Bennett as their quarterback. It's not okay, like they, but- Ohio State, Alabama needed, you know, a Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Mac Joe. I mean, there's but isn't Stetson is- Bennett made the Rams roster though, didn't he? He did. I, mean, I just he's mean not, like he's no scrub. I feel like he's almost kind of slept on at this point. Is that like he's? I think he's backing Stafford up. Yes, in LA. Is. So, but but I, but guess I, my I, I get your point, point though. Like yeah, Trevor Lawrence, yeah. Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, I'm with you. 
Georgia, Georgia can win without hitting the lottery. Yes. Quarterback. They just need a very say. good quarterback, yes. which you could argue Michigan isn't too far from that situation as well. They might be the most similar to Georgia in that regard, honestly, that there's enough, particularly defensively, there's enough depth and talent there for them to, yeah, be able to win. They can score when they need to, but they're also not, you know, yeah, they're not. I mean, yeah, I know Georgia put up, what, 64 against TCU, but or 65 or whatever, but they're not a flashy run-and-gun type deal. You know, it is much more of your sort of your traditional football. You know, no less mistakes than the opponent, run the football, win both win win the trench on both sides, you know, make you know, with a few big plays from your skill positions. So yeah. I I mean I think it's Georgia if it's not Michigan right now, honestly, unless you know, one way I think it could change is like I don't know. I think I think from reading Ohio State stuff, it felt like a lot of them a lot of their fans thought that Devin Brown gave gives them a higher ceiling at quarterback. I mean, maybe he eventually is a five star guy. I that's yeah, it was weird. Another it's, it, podcast for yeah, another day, yeah. but like compared that, to he was the it was McCarthy or McCord, and I mean, if we're being totally dead honest, Ohio State kind of chose McCord over McCarthy. I mean, yep, they they could have easily gotten JJ McCarthy if they hadn't taken a commitment from McCord when he wanted in. That being said, you would think that he would have he would seize the job when it, it was his opportunity, though, as well. But um, maybe both guys are just maybe maybe they're in a good position there. Maybe it's both guys are just really good and they had a hard time choosing, but it didn't necessarily come off that way watching them in their spring game. And then also just the reports and stuff didn't really. Right. You know, so interesting stuff. Yeah. It's, this is a very, I'm really excited for this college football season. I'm excited for every college football season, but I feel like there's a little bit more openness and intrigue. Cause you mentioned that the three, I guess, teams that recruited a super high level, have some mystery and then you have interesting wild card teams like a USC or Texas who have these great quarterbacks and is that that the equalizer you they have the quarterback these other teams have maybe more well-rounded rosters overall and then there's Michigan who returns so much you know I think nationally they're still kind of viewed as a scrappy team because because they uh, are 14th in the team talent composite but at the same time there's a lot of NFL talent at every position for the Wolverines. So uh, y'all have a story tomorrow on three reasons Michigan can win the national title, uh, three reasons that might trip them up. But I think today I'm taking the field. All right, we're going to hit a quick break on the other side. We'll look a little bit at this Michigan ECU matchup and, and what we think would count as a successful weekend for Michigan on offense and defense. Players are watching a little closer than usual. Score predictions. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, Steve, I, I, I'm going through like the East Carolina preview stuff now. This is a lot tougher than it used to be with the transfer portal. Uh, it's very tough to like figure out which outgoing transfer, incoming transfer, it's going to be you know this or that. It's it's very hard to predict exactly what's going to happen in these games. So let's focus a little bit more on Michigan because they are favored to win. East Carolina went eight and five last year, but they lose a lot of their top, especially on offense, top players. So what would count as a successful weekend for Michigan on offense tomorrow? What what's something that you know, other than winning, right, and scoring a lot of points? Like what's something that that you think would have you maybe increase your confidence level in this offense a little bit? I guess to me, I think it's pretty easy. And then can we also just say, like, we don't need to mention, like, staying healthy because that should go without saying as well, besides, like, scoring a lot of points. Like, staying yeah, healthy Winning and be staying a, healthy, yeah. Yeah, sure, you don't need to make those, like, your big point. I think seeing some – I think seeing some – the younger guys at receiver make some plays or get at least get them involved, right? I mean, we're talking about what this offense might need to take another step forward. I think I think the more playmakers you have at receiver where you do have your two sort of stalwarts at the top of the depth chart, you need more than two or you want more than two receivers uh to to be able to make plays when when asked. So I think seeing some of the younger guys come in and make an impact early would go a long ways cuz again, they should they're, they're going to have a quarterback that can get the ball to them. They should have an offensive line that is going to give that quarterback enough time to throw them the ball, and they should have a running game that should be able to keep the rest of the defense honest. There's really – it'd be hard to imagine that some of these guys won't have opportunities, right? So who takes advantage? Who who does – you know, of those guys – and we can include a a lot of those other guys, you know, like a Clemens, Carmelo English, Samaj Morgan – and uh, Fred Moore, those guys, like who steps up, who makes a play? Because again, I think that would just, it might ease some, con- and, and if they do make plays, it doesn't mean it eases concern for the rest of the season. But a lot of times, I don't know if you'd agree here, Zach, I've always felt like you can just kind of tell when a guy belongs, even if they're even in a game like Saturdays, you know, Michigan heavily favored, like you can just tell that it, when a guy belongs, you know, so let's see if Michigan has a young guy that uh, immediately belongs, not saying if they don't show it right away, they don't belong, but you know, guys that can walk out on the field and just look like they're ready to play at the college level. I'm just interested to see if Michigan has that with some of these young guys at receiver. Yeah. I'm with you all the way. I think the, the more intriguing storylines will probably be in the past game. One thing I'm looking for in determining if Michigan had a successful weekend, I think the passing game, I want to see some verticality with it. I know it's not the same as it would be against, a Penn State or Ohio State, but the sooner Michigan really starts clicking on those downfield passes, and even if it's against group of five competition, I think the better. You know, last year, it's pretty well documented at this point, they were missing and missing and missing on those deep passes, and then toward the end, that they got them, which was important, because I don't know if they win a Big Ten title if they don't have some of those over-the-top passes against Ohio State. Who knows? But regardless, I think it started to click toward the end. It would behoove Michigan to have those plays start clicking early. So I think, you know, I'm not super concerned with the run game. I am fascinated about the number three running back 
battle. Uh, but to me, I think vertical passes from JJ McCarthy connecting and looking crisp, right? There's, there's the passes that are hit because the guy's so wide open. You can kind of tell there. The, then there's the one where you're catching Cornelius Johnson or Roman Wilson in stride and, and the throw looks good. And if Michigan can have that ready to rock by the time they go on those road games that we mentioned as trap games, they look even less like potential trap games, in my opinion. Second thing I'm very fascinated about, I'm sure Michigan is hoping that this is not a super relevant position battle, but of all the position battles, Steve, you know, I did my story kind of breaking down where they all stand after fall camp. The one I had the least info on was the second number two quarterback battle. I think Davis Warren is probably the favorite. Uh, Jack Tuttle, and then everyone's really fascinated by Alex Orgy's fall camp, largely because he's in the running as kick returner. But I am, I you know, it sounds like he's making plays at quarterback too. So I think seeing those three, seeing if there's someone Michigan can can trust or lean on for a drive or two here and there, right? Obviously, it's a different situation if one of them is starting the game. But you know, if later on in the season McCarthy takes a tough hit and needs a few plays off. You probably want to know entering Big Ten play who that player is going to be. All right, on defense, what are you looking for weekend? What would make a successful weekend for the defense in your eyes? I, I guess I guess this early in this, I just always go back to the well with like which which young guys kind of step up, right? It sounds like both, maybe all three. I guess he's not young, but all three of Quentin Johnson, Keon Sab, Zeke Barry might see ample time to, on Saturday. So very interested to see what those guys bring to the table. Interested to see what Ernest Hausman brings at the linebacker position. Some of the young edge guys, like I always listen for like those fourth or fifth, like a TJ guy, you know, does he come in and make an impact in a game where he's probably going to get a solid amount of run. And then, and then, I mean, geez, let's just, let's get weird and wonder like, is Reese Atterbury really going to potentially be a depth piece on the defensive line? Uh, You know, just stuff like that, because I think Michigan's they're veteran enough, they're talented enough. You can kind of count on a lot of these guys in certain in certain instances. I guess, I mean, if Will Johnson's not at full strength or if they maybe sit him, you also want to see what they have at corner, right? Like, how does Jaden McBurrows look? How's Josh Wallace look as a, as a transfer piece? Jalen Harrell, I guess, is, would be one that I'd be watching as far from a pass rush standpoint, because you know he's going to play a lot because he knows how to stop the run. So, you know, he's another guy that I think is kind of intriguing because there's room for improvement there with his pass rush ability. Do we see some of that on Saturday? You know, do we see some visible improvement from him in that area? So more stuff to look at, I think, defensively. uh, But a lot of it really is to me is like depth stuff, young guys, and not primary position battle type stuff. Yeah, for me, it's all about the pass rush. I think that's what Michigan knows how important it is, especially from the interior. I think they made five defensive tackles available this fall camp, and every single one of them spoke for minutes at a time about the pass rush. So clearly, it's a, it's a major point of emphasis. I think I think the, that that position group knows that's the difference between being a great defensive line and an elite defensive line. Doesn't have to be sacks, but but pressures dissolving the pocket, making the quarterback, you know, kind of think on their feet a little bit. Uh, the edge rotation obviously is a part of that too. And trying to figure out, you know, who stands out or who's really coming to play. Although I will say, you know, 
Jalen Harrell, he had eight quarterback pressures against Colorado State last year. So I think some of it we won't know until we see, you know, what East Carolina's pass protection looks like or, you know, kind of how the season progresses. But, but yeah, seeing how he and Josiah Stewart look, seeing how Derek Moore and Braden McGregor look, guys who had a lot of pressures last season, not a lot of sacks last season. So I think there is something to be said for honing in on that closing ability. Bring up a good point about the cornerbacks. I know that's it's low-hanging fruit enough that I was like ignoring it. But if you think about it, Josh Wallace has not played at Michigan. Jaden McBurrows did not play last season. Jair Hill did not play at Michigan last season. You know, there's there's you know, Keyshawn Harris and, and Miles Pollard and, and all these other guys. Marion Walker, if he plays, I, I don't know everyone's status. But there, there's just not a lot of snaps in the maze in blue at cornerback if if you're taking out Will Johnson and Mike Sainer still. So, yeah, seeing who looks, as you said, like they belong. Don't have to be perfect. Also don't have to, you know, have three pass breakups and an interception necessarily. But, but yeah, who looks like they they will be factors for Michigan throughout this season? I'm sure Michigan's coaches are trying to figure that out. All right, Steve, any players that you're watching closely – other than, well, maybe we've mentioned a couple of them, but any players you're watching particularly closely for the Wolverines? Not a specific player, but I, I'm just as interested as probably everyone else because they're they're so tight-lipped is the kick and punt return situation. You know, who emerges, right? I guess that's what I'm most interested to see. Otherwise, besides that, and again, not necessarily because it remains to be seen, but, you know, like a Ben Hall or Kalel Mullings situation at running back. You know, who's that third guy? Because, again, Michigan should be in control tomorrow. You, there's no reason to run your your big dogs into the ground in game one. So uh, that'd be, that'll be another sort of player slash situation I'll be keeping an eye on. But more so, yeah, like maybe like an Amon Dennis. Does he get one of those spots? I, I just kind of have a hunch he will. I could be wrong. But um, the special team stuff is always most interesting to me. Yeah, I think – Somewhat related to that. I'm just curious to see Flo Mullings. You know, it sounds like there's been pretty team seems pretty encouraged by what he brought as the number three running back this this fall camp. And I know he said on Monday he wants to be the guy that drop to drop the hammer down, you know, when he's when he's got the ball in his hands. So uh he he, he really is how by, he has grown. He really is by far the best compliment to the two they have, though, don't you think? Don't you agree? I mean, it feels like yes. if he takes that job and can seize it, that's really almost a best-case scenario for Michigan. Like It is. It's not maybe. It is a best-case scenario of upperclassmen vet and just provides a different dynamic than the other two provide. Yep, and and you know, obviously the intangible stuff. Leader has worked really hard, has been through a lot in his career. I mean, it could be kind of like a Mike Barrett effect on – the defense's culture, you know, he was someone that, that had to wait his turn, but he got his turn. He seized his opportunity. Plus, yeah, on field, he's 6'2", 237. If he's that big and fast enough that he's in the running at, at kick and punt return, and he has that physicality, and he maybe learns some of the nuances, like like waiting for the hole to develop or running a little bit lower. I mean, he's, yeah, big X factor. In that position, freshman receivers. I'm also keeping an eye on. I, I think, uh, I think one other player. I mean, just because we haven't really talked about him a ton in this episode, but but Jaden Hood, 
to rise from seventh on the linebacker depth chart last year to fourth without anyone leaving, that fascinates me. That makes me think that Michigan really thinks that he can be, you know, a future starter for the Wolverines. So we've we've we talked about him a little bit more in the linebacker preview episode, but he's a player. He's someone like maybe when the ball is somewhere else, I'm looking to see like, how does he pursue? How does he cover? How does he uh, engage in, in a pass rushing situation? You know, what's, what's his tackling look like? So he's someone I'll be watching too, because I think if he's, if he's a hit, you know, we talked about the safety room suddenly looks a little deeper than maybe we thought before fall camp. I think it's the same deal with the linebacker room. If he's a hit and Michigan has, you know, four linebackers that they feel really good about, uh, that's, that's very promising for the depth of Michigan's and versatility of Michigan's defense this season. All right, Steve, finally, as I, as I said a moment ago, the, this game is tougher to preview than like the big 10 ones. Well, the big 10 games, I'll probably have some good stats. I'll have a good sense of, you know, the depth chart and the roster for both teams, but score prediction for Michigan versus East Carolina. Uh, I say Michigan 40 East Carolina, 12 40 to 12 yep he's got something and, right and i mentioned before we got on if you're betting on this game don't don't make your bet based off of what i'm predicting i don't need that responsibility so i like to choose you put that scores. on me ricky bobby yeah, kind of i mean it's just that's big you know i don't know like people are weird when it comes to well, weird and defensive when it comes to betting like they i know they're putting faith in us I, mine's always just more of a general score prediction. I think I don't think Michigan quite covers. I do think it could be a situation, maybe junk time, maybe ECU scores a late touchdown or something. But I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to say Michigan forty, East Carolina twelve. Okay, I think we're similar in terms of margin. I'm saying uh, Michigan forty nine, East Carolina ten. I don't know. Feel <laughs> we kind of had said the same thing last year, right? We're just kind of throwing numbers out there. Because uh, it's hard to tell with blowouts or or potentially lopsided wins. You know, when does Michigan stop pushing the pace, trying to score? You know, how much does a group of five team, you know, keep trying to to make it a game? You know, what kind of game plan do both teams have in that third and fourth quarter? But yeah, I think Michigan will score fairly easily. Wouldn't be surprised if the defense, especially if there's some injuries, wouldn't be surprised if the defense has a few big plays that they give up. But ultimately... I uh, expect Michigan to win pretty handily. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. We'll see you Saturday night for the post-game episode. Enjoy it, Michigan fans. It's been a long offseason. I know I know fans are as excited as they've ever been for Michigan football. And in just a matter of days or hours, depending on when you're listening, the Wolverines will kick off their 2023 season. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. See you next time. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.